0: Welcome to the Mindful Mama Club podcast, the shits and giggles guide to motherhood. I'm your host, Gemma, and this podcast will be full of all the unfiltered conversations, relatable mum life stories, and all the belly laughs I needed as a bougie first-time mum in a sea of shit stories and negative nancies. The Mindful Mama Club is here to remind you through pregnancy, birth and beyond that you are never alone. So, if you're looking for laughter, tips, tricks, and information on how to feel empowered in your journey to motherhood, you are in the right place. So tie up that mum bun, grab that lukewarm coffee, and let's dive headfirst into the roller coaster ride that is motherhood together. We will be talking about topics in this podcast that may be triggering for some. Please always prioritize your own mental health and skip this episode if you find any of this content upsetting. Hello everybody, I hope you are all well on this rainy summer's day. I am super excited to introduce you to my first ever guest on the podcast, Janelle Metherall, who is a lactation consultant, cranial sacral therapist and the founder of Milk Mentors. I met Janelle two years ago now when I embarked on one of her breastfeeding peer support worker courses and I affectionately describe her to all of my clients as a boob doctor. Um, Welcome Janelle, thank you so much for joining me today and for being my first ever guest. Um, Do you want to start by telling everyone about who you are and what all of those fancy job titles actually mean?
1: (laughs) Yeah, thank you for having me. I feel really honoured to be here as the first guest. Um, So yeah, I'm an lactation consultant, but specifically an IBCLC, which is an international board certified lactation consultant. Um, And that is the highest qualification that you can receive with regards to feeding support, infant feeding support. And uh, alongside that, I'm also a craniosacral therapist, which is a body worker. So I do body work on, well, on anyone, but specifically babies, just because of the nature of my work. And um, I started Milk Mentors in 2019, because I was really passionate about having support in the community, feeding support in the community that was easily accessible by parents. And um, so, yeah, I did it. I had a bit of an idea, but as it's gone on and as people like yourself have joined, um, it's just become the most amazing little group of women. And it's really nice to see the support now going out into the community and stuff. So, yeah.
0: It is. And what I love about the Milk Monters is that we don't just support other people we support each other yeah and the whatsapp group is popping off all day every day it's funny
1: because some days it'll be just a few messages or even quiet and then other days it's like 400 messages and everyone's got their own little things they're going on about like me last
0: night (laughs) but that's the nice thing we are just all women trying to live our lives and support each other um do you want to talk a bit about milk mentors and where people can find it and what support is available
1: Yeah, so it's um, milkmentors.org. It's um, local to Milton Keynes, Bedfordshire, North Bucks, Northamptonshire, that sort of little cluster of counties right there. We have, currently we have uh, groups, so face-to-face groups that you can run, that you can attend, um, one in Amptill in Bedfordshire and the other in Stony Stratford and Milton Keynes. And, um, so if you want any support face to face, you can get that, get it there. Um, you can also find a peer supporter who might be able to come to your, sorry, um, might be able to come to your house to provide some face to face support. And, um, and you can also just contact people via email, via our Facebook page, um, and reach out that way to get some help. And they are all, I mean, I know I've probably a bit um skewed in saying this but they're all very well trained they're all very (laughs) qualified and very well informed and um and so yeah and lovely and happy to help
0: yeah it is nice and I think we're all passionate about things in our own way which kind of gives everyone a little extra edge um when you're helping people so you have three kids right yes so should we take it back to your own breastfeeding journeys Yeah. do you think they played a part in you becoming an IBCLC
1: Definitely. So I had Gracie, so she was my first, and that was not an easy journey at all. And actually, it starts, it always starts with the birth, and um, the birth wasn't that nice. I ended up in hospital, um, felt very isolated. It was actually during the swine flu time, so it was similar to COVID in that you couldn't have visitors. So I was very much on my own, and then, um, yeah, the support in the hospital was lacking. I got home and I was really because, you know, when you the first couple of days, babies tend to sleep a lot. And then when I got home, it was like she woke up and it was painful to feed her. She wanted feeding all the time. I was so miserable. I remember having my husband phone the hospital and ask for somebody to come over. And they said to me, well, if she's already been shown how to breastfeed and she can't do it, well, then she can't do it. Wow. And I remember just being like, Ooh, it was awful. It, the, the few days that <laughs> followed just kind of were in the same sort of vein of that. And then I got through things. It took a couple of months, but I got through things. And then I was like reflecting, as you do, on everything. And I was like, oh, my God, the support is so crap, isn't it? Like, I could not believe how badly I'd been let down. And so... I guess that was really the beginning of my journey because then I became really passionate about helping other people and it was just like one thing led to another through um, just doing like a forum, Facebook support and supporting other mums that way and then it kind of grew and grew. I became a La Leche League leader with my second so I started attending breastfeeding groups through La Leche League and um, met people, met the leader, became a leader and... He was actually really easy to, to feed. He was, oh, I always reflect on that one as well. That was such a lovely breastfeeding relationship. And um, so I got a little bit smug and I thought it was because I knew so much about breastfeeding. And then I had my third and that was just <laughs> a total flip side. It was very humbling. Um, so I think having my children has really developed my ability to support people in different, different ways because I can see that it is... A lot of time, like we we always turn on ourselves and we think I can't do it. I'm not doing it well. And like with my son, I was like, Oh, I'm amazing. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing so well. And then it's like actually, there's this other little human, and they bring so much to it as well. So it's like trying to navigate the two of you and not always just thinking I'm crap and I'm not able to breastfeed.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's a skill that you have to learn, but it's also yes. a skill that they have to learn. Yeah. Um, yeah, I say to people like I think it might have been you that said this to me, actually, that it's breastfeeding is natural, like walking, not like breathing. Yeah. So you come out and you know how to breathe. You have to learn how to walk.
1: Yeah. And you will fall yeah. down, but you just have to get back up if you if you can just keep going. And eventually through support and perseverance, you learn how to run.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So interestingly that you said about when you had your third child, that you found it hard again after having like a great, fairly easy journey with the second. So how much of it do you think is the baby? How Like a baby plays a part and their own personality.
1: Yeah, well, this is one of the big reasons why I became a craniosacral therapist was because when I was with parents trying to help them feed their babies, I was seeing that actually the breastfeeding problems and the issues that were being experienced were just, a symptom of something else going on in the baby. And so it was presenting as them not being able to go to the breast, not being able to open their mouth, not, you know, just crying and colic and all of these other things, um, not having good tongue function. And so then I was having to refer them to somebody else for body work, which seemed a huge extra step. A lot of people wouldn't do it. I would not never see them again. And when you're referring on and people are having to, like, you know, go to all these different people, there's more likelihood that they're going to give up at some point yeah. because it's just too much it's overwhelming in those early days so I was like well I'm just going to do it so I went and I got that qualification and so now in these appointments that I'm having I can see like this baby is struggling with something in themselves and it's totally unrelated to the mother like they may have had you know just the way they've developed in wombs sometimes is enough and um and so it's not the the mothers do like they could hold their baby anyway and the baby's uncomfortable yeah so it's still gonna it's struggle just that um so yeah that's it's a huge part of it and in some cases because every every feeding dynamic is different in some cases it's all down to the baby and yeah. and that's why the struggle is there yeah
0: so tell me a bit more about body work yeah. what is cranial sacral cranial sacral therapy that's a mouthful, it's a mouthful.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all of my qualifications are international board certified lactation consultant um yeah it's so it's a body work. It's a very gentle therapy where I feel into the natural rhythm of the body and like the way of because the body's always in motion, so it's like always in a like a fluid motion. Hopefully, but when you are feeling into the body, you can sometimes feel where maybe there's an asymmetry and the flow is not so great somewhere, um, which would signal there's a restriction there and a holding. So it's just through giving those areas attention, sometimes just a very gentle, light touch um, that the body will just start to relax in certain ways to release it. Mm. Um, So, yeah, so I do that. It's such a beautiful. If you've ever if you ever um, followed me on Instagram, there's some videos on there of babies having it done
0: and they just. Oh, yeah. There's that video of that one baby just like sinks into your hand and it's so
1: cute. I have to say, when you're holding them and they do that, like I had one baby on the weekend and I've had her before and every single time we start, her whole body just goes really heavy and her parents like she's never like this because she's a a colicky, refluxy baby so she just screams.
0: Um, So I'm just like, oh, it is, yeah. Magic hands. Love it. Um, So then talking about challenges, what do you find is the most common challenge that families have when you're supporting them?
1: Yeah, so this one might get long. (laughs) Long (laughs) is fine. You (laughs) might have to stop me. So I would say at the very crux of it is the first weight check after the babies. So you have your birth weight and then you have a few days, usually about three to to five days, they do another weight check. And that's usually a huge turning point for families um, because if the baby's lost more weight than the health professionals want them to, then they usually instantly get put on a feeding plan. So I either see them at that moment and we're trying to navigate how to move forward from there. Or I'm seeing them weeks, months down the line when everything's become so complex as a result of that moment and what's happened there. So if you are then put on a feeding plan, a lot of times you end up with low supply because mums struggle to pump at that stage because of exhaustion. So you end up with low supply, you end up with top ups, you then, you know, three months down the line are trying to work out is the low supply, is that why the baby was losing weight or is it a result of? the feeding plan being put into place. Um, So you're trying to unravel that. Yeah, baby might be refusing breast or struggling to go between breast and bottle. So then you're trying to navigate that as well alongside the supply issue. So it becomes really complicated. Um, It oftentimes, if I don't see them really early on in that first few days, then a lot of times parents won't seek support. They won't even know to seek support until they're so far down the road that it's like, right, this is my last ditch attempt. And so you're like, oh my God, how am I going to sort this out? Um, you can, you can sort it out. It's not easy, but I think that's probably, um, yeah, if, if you have, that's probably why you need to see a lactation consultant at this stage like that because you do need to get a lot more skill in. You need to be looking at feeding plans that are individualized to your family in your situation and um, you need to be looking at what's going on with the baby as well in those times because there's a there's a reason why that number on the scale was what it was whether it's just something that was a bit erroneous anyways and should have been thrown out or whether there was an actual reason there then it's trying to look at that um so you're kind of It's like detective work going back to the very early days and trying to work out what was going on there. Um, But you do need somebody with a lot of experience and skill to navigate that.
0: Yeah. And I think, like you said, looking at an individualized plan, not just numbers, because birth weight can be elevated for a variety of different reasons. And sometimes babies look like they've lost a lot of weight purely because they've lost water retention or things that aren't necessarily to do with how they're feeding. Yeah. um, And then they're put in on a plan. Um, Should we talk a bit about the top up trap? Because I come across a lot of people who don't know what it is, but they're in it. Um, I've had friends who have been put on feeding plans and it's not necessarily that they need a feeding plan, but they end up in this trap where they're told to top up, which ends up being a full feed. And yeah, yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about what the top up trap is?
1: So top up trap is usually when for whatever reason you introduce a bottle, a formula. Um, So not expressed milk, but formula specifically. And so because you're feeding with the bottle a formula, your breast milk, your supply, your own supply starts to decrease. So then you, it feeds into the idea that you don't have enough milk because you actually start to have less milk. Mm -hmm. So then you have to introduce more formula and then your supply drops more. So it's this, you end up in a trap basically, because then you don't know how to get yourself out of it. Um, because it, creates this huge element of trusting in your body's ability to pick up that supply. Again, having skill, um, to, to understand how your body's going to do that.
0: Yeah. And I think that's why the whole education and information before you want to breastfeed is so important because even just understanding what supply and demand is plays a huge part in your journey, because if you don't understand how your boobs work, then you don't understand why you feel they're not working
1: Yeah. And the huge thing about this as well is, and and why it's important to look at every single family as an individual family is because every woman's body is different. Mm -hmm. So I have worked with women who, you know, their supply is so, you just barely touch the nipple and give it any stimulation and their supply just shoots up. And then some women will be pumping and pumping and trying everything and they're really struggling to increase their supply. So it's, you can't just say like, oh, feed for like, oh God. And I'm being sarcastic. I love when they say this. You know, feed for 20 minutes, both sides, and then you know, you, it's it's not that simple. You need to understand, like, what is the and when you have a relationship with a woman. When I'm working with a client over a long period of time, we can see like how are your how is your supply responding to what we're doing? Do we need to alter things in any way? Um, how are you coping with? the pumping and the feeding routine. Do we need to alter that in any way because you're struggling? Because your emotional state as well and your exhaustion levels are gonna impact how your body's gonna produce milk, which we don't really think. We just think like, we'll have a plan, we'll have a routine, we'll do this thing, and then it'll be fine, and it doesn't work that way. Um, Yeah, some people when they have uh, clinical medical conditions, it's gonna impact their supply further, so you have to take that into account all of these things, when you don't have the knowledge and the understanding, and unfortunately, um, a lot of health professionals don't because, you know, this is a a different skill. It's like, you know, a lactation consultant, an IBCLC has to achieve a whole qualification to be able to offer this skill. Um, when When you have that skill and you can look at these different elements and kind of work out, okay, for this person, we need to do this, then it's, it, yeah. it's it's much easier and it's not something that a mother who's just had a baby who's struggling with exhaustion needs to try and work out on her own
0: yeah it's, it's near impossible yeah, to try and work it out on your yeah. own yeah um yeah i think i could sit here talking about <laughs> top up traps and it's so, feeding and, plans that are unnecessary and this forever is, yeah
1: this is one of those things that comes from that three-day weight plan and it's so it seems like such a harmless thing like oh just you know give and it's always some random amount. Give thirty mil every two hours mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks, and then we'll get the weight up, and you know, and it'll be yeah. fine. And I have actually had people who have done that, and then a health visitor or somebody's come in and said, "Okay, that's fine. Weight's up. Now you can just drop the top ups." And it's yeah. like, "Oh my god!" And then the weight does shoot down. Yeah, this is not it's that, that easy. Nice. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, "Oh my
0: god!" And then you get like, for me, when Pepper was born, she was only four pound seven. She was four weeks early. But she came out and she was latching okay. She was feeding. But they put me on a feeding plan for no reason other than she was small. And I didn't have a bloody clue what I was doing then. I didn't know anything about breastfeeding other than, oh, I'm just going to give it a go. Yeah. yeah, And they told me to pump and give her a bottle. And she didn't need any of that. She was absolutely fine. But yeah, Yeah. because she was small, but perfectly healthy, (laughs) I was put on a feeding plan. I mean, we went home and just threw that in the bin. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, lots Good. of other people wouldn't have done that and they would have felt like, well, they've told me I need to do that, so I need to do it. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's it's really hard to get the balance. A,
1: there is a real strong conditioning in us to do what is... I've, I work with a lot of people who, even when I'm supporting them, I'm like, you don't have to do that. Mm. You don't have to do it. There's this real strong, like, I don't want to say no. I yeah. don't want to go against what I'm being told to do. And so a lot of people will say, well, I'll just do what I need to do until they leave me alone and then I'll do what I'm yeah. saying. And I'm like... Okay, just do do what feels right for you. Yeah, because, exactly. Yeah, there's no point in yeah. that situation.
0: I mean, don't get me on the whole, no, it's a full tense, thing. If people, <laughs> we can talk about that all day. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do, guys, ever. Yeah. <laughs> um. Cool. So what is the one piece of advice that you would love to give all families embarking on a breastfeeding journey?
1: I would say that if you... If you're pregnant, so if you're just at those early stages of embarking, prepare yourself and inform yourself. I would say go to a breastfeeding group. Even if you're pregnant and you don't have a baby, you're always welcome. Every group would say that. Um, Speak to peer supporters. Contact milk mentors. Um, (laughs) Of course. (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, speak to breastfeeding counselors, lactation consultants. Get an appointment. Prepare yourself antenatally. Statistics speak volumes. And breastfeeding rates are really pants for a reason because the support's not there. And if you don't know what you're doing, um, then you're going to be navigating a very complex situation on your own postpartum. So having some level of knowledge in pregnancy is really good. Um, when you, when you have a baby, it's not the time to start learning Mm. new things. It's just not going to sink in, um, so yeah, preparing in pregnancy definitely, and um, and then seeking support as soon as you feel like seeking skilled support as soon as you feel like this isn't this isn't feeling right. If there's even an inkling, an intuition there, then get help because it is so much easier to just be assured that everything's fine, or you know, be given a little tip on how to alter things than to get weeks down the line where your emotional and mental state is so low and everything's so messed up and complicated that you just feel like, oh, I can't do it. And then you just, yeah.
0: And what about partners? So obviously education and stuff is great, um, but women tend to educate themselves alone, especially when it comes to breastfeeding. So how important is it to get partners involved in that education as well?
1: Yeah, it's really important. I think that's a difficult thing where – some partners don't feel comfortable in that environment, so um, in those situations, maybe trying to get one to one, so like you know, having um, a private appointment. But um, it is they they make all the difference. And the Le Leche League has um, I bring this in because I'm I was a LLL counselor, but um, they have a they have philosophies, and one of their philosophies is around the partner and the importance of having a partner in the feeding dynamic, because it does make or break it. And I have been in houses where, um, yeah, I mean, it's just lovely to see. When I had this one woman, I always say, like, she they had to stay with um, her parents for, I can't remember why, but I went there, and um, her dad, so the grandfather, her dad was, like, telling me about how she was pumping and which... Um, which setting she had on the pump and this is the one that works the best for her and then the dad was you know making sure that she was comfortable and her mother was in the kitchen kind of sorting everything out for her and she was just so well taken care of and even though things weren't going you know as as we dream when we have our baby with regards to feeding I knew and and It did happen that she just got over those obstacles quite easily because she had all the support and all she had to do was just focus on her baby and herself. And well, not even herself, because everyone else was like doing that for her. So it was just lovely. And it makes such a difference. Then, you know, I've been in a house where there was this woman, bless her. um, She was basically all alone. Um, She had a partner. He was ugh like i just <laughs> at one point i just wanted to go pummel him oh. um she her baby was screaming um she was pretty much exclusively formula feeding she was trying to breastfeed but due to various reasons was struggling um and, and the baby was screaming and he's and she said to him can you go make a bottle of formula and he said i'm busy oh, and wow. i was like and then he yeah he was like upstairs went and did something i think he was like doing something he was yeah he wasn't busy and i remember just my blood boiling and I was like I'll just I'll go make the bottle and so I went and made the bottle and bless her I was just like oh I just wanted to stay yeah. there it's those mums where you're like I don't want to leave she despite her situation managed to exclusively breastfeed so wow. she reversed it completely and yeah and went from exclusively formula feeding to yeah so yeah. it's possible it's hard work and I would say in those situations it's despite the support but they're very rare and a lot of times when I see families like that it's
0: yeah it's hard it's hard and I think I always say to people like set expectations with your partner of what you need from them in those early days and I know if you're a first-time parent you might not know but talk to other people about okay well what did you find useful what can they do to help me yeah and let them know
1: yeah this I think yeah a lot of dads do want to be involved so like my little rant there that's not um I think a lot of dads do want to be involved. They want to know how they can help. There's the idea that they can help by giving bottles, but there's so many ways that you can bond and so many ways that you can help besides with the actual, like, you feeding the baby. So you can feed the mom, you can do all of the stuff around the house, change nappies, do baths. Um, baby wearing is so yeah. lovely because it gives mom a break, a rest. If the if the baby's in a carrier of some sort, usually they're quite snug and happy and sleep longer. Um, just things like that are really bonding for the dad and mm. gives them that sense of being involved um, and yeah so it does make a huge difference yeah. and and I get a lot of calls from the dad because the mum's struggling um, so a lot of times I am talking directly with them that's really supportive I think and it's that, again that's a really nice
0: yeah and they thing. can become great advocates I know mm-hmm. Joss probably knows just as much about boobs as I do now. And I've heard him on occasion, we had an electrician round and the electrician was saying they were having a baby and I could hear him, I was in the other room and he was firing facts about <laughs> breastfeeding at this guy and how <laughs> beneficial it was and how you need to get support to check your latch and how supply and demand works and all of this stuff and how like, yeah, and it, it was actually just so sweet to hear. Like I didn't prompt him to do any of that. He just has come on this journey with me. and. It's so I don't shut up talking about boobs. so. Um, but yeah, they can become an advocate. And I think letting them know as well, phrases that are okay to say, because I think so many people, not just partners, grandparents, your mom, your friends, they think they're supporting you by saying, it's okay, fed is best, don't worry, just give a bottle if you're struggling. And they are genuinely trying to support. But actually at that point, you don't want to hear that. You want someone to say, let me call someone for you. Should we call the breastfeeding helpline? Should we find you a group to go to? Um, so yeah, thinking about the phrases and things that they say yeah. can make such a big difference.
1: Yeah, I think I think that is a really good point to make. I also think that um, it is in our nature, like, well, in men specifically, when you're watching your partner struggling to want to fix yeah. Something, and there are things that you can do, like phone people, um but sometimes just allowing them the space to just have a yeah. really good cry, just be, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Like, and I think just holding them when they need it. I remember so many times, like crying in the middle of the night, and Joss knew that he can, he didn't have any boobs, he couldn't do anything, but he just sat up and rubbed my back. Yeah. And like, just in those moments, you're like, okay, we are a team. And although you don't have any nipples that are going to do anything right now, (laughs) um, you are still here and, yeah, supporting me. And yeah, I think it's really nice when, yeah, just let someone have have that moment. Um, So I asked on my um, stories for people to send in some questions for you. Yes. Um, So the first one. And this is one. I mean, I get lots of people asking me about this. How d- do you stop a baby from biting? <laughs> um, so biting can
1: be developmental. A lot of babies, although n- not all, um, might experiment with clamping down once or twice. It usually lasts a really short time, like a few days, maybe even a week, but. People, when they're in that, think this is it now. Like yeah. my, my child's going to be doing this. So um, there are signs sometimes that it's going to happen. So um, when a child has to bite, they have to withdraw their tongue. So they kind of come away slightly with their tongue and their mouth changes. Now, a lot of us will tend to be on our phone and not mm-hmm. always paying attention If your child is starting to bite, it might be a time when you start to pay a little bit more attention for a while. um, So that if they are doing that, you can bring them off quickly before they clamp down. Um, Sometimes it's at the end of a feed. Mm -hmm. So it's like boredom and, oh, I want to play now. Or I want to get your attention. So that's another one. A lot of times they'll do it as an attention thing, especially if you've reacted before. Then they're like, oh, let's see what happens again. This is fun. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's not naughty. I would say, again, it's a developmental thing. It's like, oh, I'm doing this thing. This is happening. I'm going to experiment with this a bit more. Um, it's okay to take them off and put them down and be like, that's enough. Mm. Um, that's a healthy boundary for them to learn. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. You don't need to shout at them. You don't need to make it a big thing, but just like a really firm, like, okay, we're done feeding now. Um, another time when babies very young will clamp down obviously they don't have teeth is um, when you have really fast supply and fast let down in the early days. So you, some mums will think that their baby's biting them, but it's more just like a clamping to slow the flow. Um, and again, I would say just take them off, let the milk slow down and then put them back on. But um, yeah, biting is usually temporary. It comes in little um, like again, over just little short periods, so like yeah. a little few days or a week. Um, bear with it it does go it is terrifying um and have compassion for
0: yourself if you do shout or you know hate breastfeeding for that period of time it it goes and not all babies might bite you um so I think that I sometimes speak to people and they're like oh well I'm going to feed until they get teeth yeah because they are nervous about the fact that this baby might bite them it's like but you haven't actually been bitten yet yeah Um, and they might not Yeah. Well, they might do it once. I think Peppa bit me one time and never again. And Indy used to clamp, but she never bit me when she had teeth.
1: I can't remember. I remember one. I don't think I don't think mine did bite. I think my first did once and I only remember it because (laughs) I wasn't paying attention and it happened. And my physical response through just reaction was to hit her. And I didn't, because I wasn't paying attention. So my hand just, and it wasn't like hard, but it was like this, like, get Uh, off, like this, I juddered and like kind of hit her stomach away from me. And my husband was there and he was like, did you just hit her? And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I've just hit my child. And I was panicking and I was like, she bit me. I didn't like. You didn't expect it. Yeah. It was just this reaction. And then I just felt awful for ages. Um. She didn't even care. She didn't notice. It wasn't like a hard hit. It was just more like a, a you know, if you were seeing somebody do yeah. it, you'd be like you've just hit your child. Um and she was not that old. She must have been about 8 months old or something.
0: But yeah. yeah that
1: was the only time and I I've not
0: experienced it since, yeah. yeah. So yeah, you might not get bitten. You might be fine. And if you do, try not to hit the baby. <laughs> <laughs> um do you have tips on how to best tandem feed a two-year-old and a newborn?
1: Yeah, this is a bit tricky. Um, I read this question. I was like, oh, this is one of those individual situations. It's going to depend on the temperament of mm. your two-year-old. Um, sometimes. So I had, um, yeah, I would say having your baby, your baby baby, your newborn, sometimes having them in a rugby and then having the other one either standing or just sitting on the opposite side, so they're not crisscrossing. Mm-hmm. If if your toddler is busy and mobile and more likely to knock the baby, um, if they're both very calm and gentle, you can put the toddler at the bottom and then rest the newborn on top, so they kind of. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how to. Yeah that with language but I'm showing you
0: <laughs> You showing me with her arms like a sandwich of children yes, <laughs> one on the- <laughs> like one resting on top of the yeah, other yeah
1: yeah so that's I did that a couple of times when they get a little bit older though they start to faff with each other so mm. you have to keep them a bit further apart
0: did you tandem feed them
1: I did I um I tandem fed my first and second the longest um for I can't remember how many years now three years oh. and then um my second and third my second one didn't feed that much Mm. um so he would yeah i never actually did them together at the same time yeah um my first and second i only did it a bit she was crazy so after a while (laughs) it was like too much so i was like i'll feed you and then i'll feed him and then yeah yeah we kept it like that
0: (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah I, i sometimes get asked about colostrum when you're tandem feeding as well because obviously If you aren't feeding a baby, your body prepares to give the colostrum to the newborn. But if you are feeding another child, how how does that work? So your body will prioritise the infant.
1: So it will go back into producing colostrum like it's the first baby. Mm -hmm. Um, When the baby's born, it will, depending on... um, No, it it will feed the milk tailored to
0: both
1: children so there's a lot on the internet that you know people will feed one baby on one breast and the other baby on the other breast and then the milk from those breasts is different like they Mm -hmm. pump and then they're like oh look at the difference of the milk um again it's the internet so we don't really it's not actual science it's not um evidence and so there are some people questioning whether like you can do that or not um so i would I don't really want to say like that will happen, Mm -hmm. but it does happen for some people. Um, so it's possible that your breasts will both individually learn this is for this baby and this is for this baby and produce different types of milk. Um, but generally if you're just feeding on a whim, um, at whatever breast, whenever, then it's going to prioritize the infant and the Mm.
0: nutritional needs of the infant. And also there's no negative to the toddler. I was going to say, and that's not to say that you're
1: harming your your older child nutritionally. No, my, when I was, when I did get my second child, when I had my second child and I started tandem feeding, my two year old at the time got really fat because the milk had changed (laughs) and she was like, Ooh, lots of milk. So she was breast almost exclusively breastfeeding again Mm. And she got really fat and people were commenting like, oh, she's chunked up. And I was like, that's my milk. Yeah, she was loving yeah, it. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> See, boobs are amazing. Um, talking of newborns and um, colostrum, what are your feelings toward colostrum harvesting?
1: Yeah, I think it's good. I think everyone should um, attempt it unless you have been warned to not do nipple stimulation mm-hmm. um, if you're at a risk of early uh, delivery. But, um, but yeah, it's really good. I think that not just the getting the milk out, which is beneficial and you can store that, but also because getting to know your body and getting to know your breast is really important. We don't tend to have, most of us don't have a positive relationship with our body these days as women um a lot of people that I've supported have not like they don't even know about their breasts like if I ask people okay so like what do your nipples look like um they'll go oh I don't know and it's it's generally the partner that will like pipe up and be like oh well this one points this way and this one and and they're always like what (laughs) how did you know that
0: they pay a lot of attention they do
1: yeah um so but us we don't know our body that well so in pregnancy it's really nice to have that you know, touching. Connection. And sometimes it can feel uncomfortable, especially mm. if it's like a new thing for you. Yeah. And that's why you should do it because mm. you don't want to feel uncomfortable when you have a baby, a new baby, and you're trying to get to grips with something new. Again, like I said, you don't want to learn a new skill. Yeah. So learning that in pregnancy is always
0: really good. Yeah. So for those who don't know what colostrum harvesting is, how would you best describe it?
1: Okay, so it's just hand expressing the early milk, so the colostrum milk in... in um pregnancy and you can't you won't get a lot well most people won't get a lot you will maybe get a couple of mil and um i would say expressing into a spoon and then syringing up the milk from the spoon
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and you can just freeze it in little syringes one mil syringes two mil syringes and um and then sticking them in the freezer and then once baby arrives if you need them you can access them
0: yeah and i always say to people as well like it's i was just crap at it I, tried. I knew I was going to have an early delivery, so they were like, oh, it would probably be beneficial for you to see if you can have some colostrum harvested. I was just shit. <laughs> and I remember being induced, and they were like, have you tried? And we were like, we tried at home. They're like, well, why don't you try again? And to be honest, it was the best oxytocin booster because Joss and I were just pissing ourselves laughing. <laughs> With my tits hanging out, he was trying to syringe the tiny little drops that were falling out of my boob. And we had these syringes that had tiny little purple toppers on, yeah. and he didn't take the topper off. So, as he pulled it, the air shot up, the topper went flying like ding, 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 all over the ward. And we were just crying with laughter. So, to be honest, I think that's what sent me into such a quick labor because my oxytocin was through the roof trying to uh, catch it. Awesome. And then there's a lovely photo of my sisters. Um, trying to help me afterwards when Pepper was born um, to try and get some colostrum out to give her in syringes because she was on the feeding plan that she didn't need to be on. Um, And there's a photo of those two just wetting themselves, laughing, holding my nipple. One's holding a syringe, (laughs) one's trying to massage it. Um, So, yeah, it can be a lovely bonding experience for anyone that you wish to share it with. Uh, That's funny. um, Someone sent in, so what are your top tips for establishing breastfeeding after delivery? um top tips after delivery
1: i would say to lots of skin to skin um i know you probably know but i'll say it um (laughs) skin to skin is the natural state of the baby so we tend to think skin to skin is an extra and something nice that we should do skin to skin or just having baby in your arms is their natural habitat Mm -hmm. so putting them down and putting them away will create different responses in their body that can make breastfeeding harder. Um, So keeping them really close to you is my, probably my top tip. And again, going back to any knowledge that you have that, you know, from your preparation, excuse me, (coughs) because, um, yeah, so going back to any knowledge that you have from your preparation, because if you do have a lot of people coming in and telling you conflicting advice, you want to have something that's like you, Mm -hmm. you know, actually that's not right or that's right or, you know, and and following your intuition. Yes. Biggest instinct is like your, I mean, my biggest advice is your instinct always knows. Like you can question it. You can be like, oh, I don't feel like that's right. But they're saying it's right. So I'm going to do that. Just trust, trust. Mm -hmm. And if you really like, yeah, if you really are doubting yourself again finding
0: somebody with some knowledge to to yeah. verify because but mother's intuition is a real thing yeah and yeah trust your body it's yeah. telling you those things for a reason it's very rare occasion that those instincts are wrong
1: if you and this is going to go into my craniosacral work if you understand how the body works in pregnancy and in those early postpartum days we go into a very different state of being as mothers we become very we go into our very primitive primal responses and our physiology changes. So we lose our conditioning and we connect to a different part of ourselves that we've generally lost by that point. And so it can feel really uncomfortable because we have feelings and we don't understand why we have these feelings. Um, and so, but they're there. They're there for a reason. They're very animalistic, they're very like mm-hmm. protective mother so trust them yeah they're that yeah they're
0: there to protect you and your baby and baby has them too so you'll hear me talk many times about the baby if you put them down they think they're going to get eaten by a bear because they don't know that we don't live in a cave anymore and that they won't get eaten by a bear um but yeah they think if they're with you then you can keep them safe and look after them and fight off the bear that's coming to eat on them
1: yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i i I think that this is my, I really get so passionate about this, and I feel like this is kind of where all of my work goes now, is into this trust yourself, mm-hmm. listen to yourself, you have all the <coughs> answers, you know what you're doing. Um, yeah, listen to people, but also listen through a filter of, is this something that I feel is right? Um, and it's okay to go against all the evidence in the world. Yeah. Like
0: yeah there's and a it's reason. okay to put off all the policies and guidelines like mm. checking your baby has five fingers and five toes and how much <laughs> they weigh and all of those things to just say no you can do it later yeah and just say i'm just going to sit here with the baby on me for an hour at least or longer um all of those checks can wait <laughs> and the longer you have baby with you the better that will be for your breastfeeding journey
1: the entire medical system is set up not for you and your well-being and getting all of that sorted. It's set up to get your baby out, to tick boxes and to move you on mm-hmm. to the
0: next person. Yeah, that's Oh, I feel like that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come, definitely come back to that one. And I'm going to end on a question that I get asked all the time. And every time I answer it, people are like, what? Um, alcohol ah can you drink and breastfeed yes you can um woohoo
1: (laughs) (laughs) you can drink and breastfeed if you are going to drink in excess um and excess being like if you're just gonna go out and get absolutely sloshed and have a night out then you might want to pump for your own comfort depending Mm -hmm. on how old your baby is and also to maintain your supply but you don't need to um you don't need to pump and dump and try and remove a certain amount of alcohol from your milk before you can feed Mm -hmm. uh the alcohol will leave your milk like it leaves your bloodstream and
0: um yeah and then you can just continue as you were there's that nice phrase of if you can hold a baby you can feed a baby yeah so yeah but if you are drinking maybe don't co-sleep
1: that's what i was gonna say yeah the biggest i think the biggest thing is that if you're sharing a bed with your baby and you've had any alcohol then it's best not to sleep Mm -hmm. with them
0: yeah yeah so yeah you heard it here you can have a (laughs) cocktail and a glass of wine um thank you so much for coming and being my first ever guest i love talking to you you're just a great energy to be around um do you want to let people know where they can find you if they want to speak to you more
1: yeah, so I'm at breastfeedinghelp.co.uk. I am on Instagram and on Facebook. I have not gone on to any of the other crazy things. I'm a bit too old. <laughs> um, but I also have a healing, breastfeeding, grief, and trauma course on Teachable on happyjourneys.teachable.com. And, um, yeah, you can just contact me if you ever want to just have a chat want to ask how I can support you. Yeah. Um, contact milk mentors if you've got any sort of general early day like what am I doing um, or want to attend a group um, yeah I think that's
0: great it. yeah so yeah if you want to know any more you can find Janelle um, and contact her but yeah thank you so much for coming thank on um, yeah speak to you soon Hey. <laughs> thank you for listening to the shits and giggles guide to motherhood I hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it If you love what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave me a review. Your feedback means the world to me and helps other mums discover the show too. If you want to hear more, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Mindful Mama Club. I love to chat, so always feel free to reach out. Join us again next time as we bring you more shits and giggles, inspiring conversations, amazing guests and tips for you to boss your own motherhood adventure. Thank you for being a part of the MMC community. And until next time, keep smiling and being the bloody superhero woman that you are. Lots of love, Gem.